What are the position battles coming for the Indiana Pacers in training camp? And what should be important for the Pacers in determining who wins which battle? We'll break it all down today before talking about the latest Pacers news on the Locked On Pacers podcast. You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Happy Tuesday, everybody, and welcome in to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers, as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and SI, and today, we're less than a week from Pacers training camp, really a week away because media day is Monday, and it's time to preview camp a bit by first looking at position battles coming for the Pacers. Loosely, I've talked about them on this show. I want to dive more in-depth on those because basically at every position at some level, starting, bench, what role specifically a player will play, there'll be a battle for minutes and opportunity available in training camp, and that will be one of the stories of campus. Who looks good? And at the end of the show, we'll get to all the latest Pacers news. Probably the second to last news show of this offseason. And then just before the preseason game, we'll get through the final one for offseason topics. Yesterday, Dan Favalli and I looked at top 100 lists. Later this week, King Kalen Cooper and I will preview the Pacers season at the point guard position. Lots of fun stuff coming here. This week on Lockdown Pacers and probably another Buddy Healed related episode coming if you want the latest on that last Thursday's show is for you. We start with training camp, though, with com- competition coming. This is not just me making this up. This has come from the organization. Rick Carlisle saying uh, back in July, the roster is very competitive. I love it. As a coach, you love it. Let's get these guys in the most competitive training camp situation possible and see who rises to the top to help everybody reach their highest level. And the stuff with playing time, that stuff all gets figured out. I'm not worried about that. And then Chad Buchanan, the general manager, was on the Setting the Pace podcast. Shout out to Alex Golden and Michael Focci. He said there's going to be a lot of competition in training camp, right? This is known by the Pacers. This is going to be a situation where minutes can be had, where just in general, their rotation can be set up a little bit. And I obviously think you come into this knowing who your tiebreakers are, right? Like in their head, I think the Pacers have something set of this is who our starters are, this is our benches, because you need tiebreakers, right? If nothing separates itself during training camp, you have to know who you're going to pick. So I'm sure they have that all set up, but they still have to see how this plays out, right? Because there's a lot of things that they're going to have to decide very early in the season before they even tip a game. And to me, it comes down to two things. One thing the Pacers will have to consider in their rotational decisions is who fits the best with Hal Burton in the short term and long term. And this is related and not my second point, but just the same thing. Who fits the best without Tyrese Halliburton? Being able to play well without him and buoying different units is just as important as being able to being additive to the 30 plus minutes a game that Halliburton is on the court, right? Those two things, that one thing really, but the two sides of that coin are going to be valuable in some of these position battles. It depends on the position. And the other factor here is what goals are more important to the Pacers at that specific position? The short-term success that they have defined this year, right? Lots of players talking about making the playoffs. Or the long-term success of the Pacers, who had an offseason that still looks long-term focused despite the team getting better, right? For example, we'll talk about these two positions, but at the backup center spot, where it's Daniel Tice versus two younger bigs, right? That's more about the objectives goal. If they're trying to win this year and they don't see and they see that gap is kind of large in terms of talent, Tice should be the backup center. But if they're looking long-term or they value that more than that talent gap, then they should play one of the young bigs. And then at the, some of the other positions, there'll be the elements of, you know, the Tyrese Halliburton part of this, right? 
Obi Toppin and Jarris Walker could be about fit with and without Halliburton because they both kind of are short and long-term plays, with Jarris, of course, being more of the long-term play. But again, there's some talent and fit elements involved. So generally, I would say to that point, too, every player on the roster would be better or at least a little better playing with Tyrese Halliburton, right? Most players will do well with him, but there are some who can thrive or do well without him or maximize the team when he's not out there versus being additive when he is out there. And I think that former group is important to determining a second unit or determining how the substitution patterns will work, right? So there's a lot of things for the Pacers to consider in all of these battles. And I just kind of tipped two of them and how I think they'll go and what their important factors are. But I think the place to start and where this all kind of expands from is actually a position battle that is two players that aren't even the same position, right? This is a combined battle that is the backup ones and kind of the backup wings. It's really a backup one versus a backup forward. And it's TJ McConnell and Aaron Neesmith, right? They are, to me, from the outside looking in, but kind of reading the tea leaves, looking at the roster, the way it's set up, hearing how players are talked about, looking at who deserves more minutes and things like that, the additions that were made. TJ McConnell and Aaron Smith are competing, to me, for minutes. Perhaps the Pacers will say in training camp that they're going to try and live in a rotation. Maybe they'll try and live in a rotation in a real game, but that's hard, right? You're not getting the most out of your players, the most rhythm out of your lineups when you're playing that way. So if the starters are a one and a two and a three and a four and a five, and that one is Tyrese Halberton, you can only have one backup point guard behind that player. And if that player is TJ McConnell, who's the backup point guard, well, then they have to find minutes for Andrew Nemhard. And you can easily, if you're the Pacers, move Andrew Nemhard into the guard wing group. But that group comprises of Bruce Brown, Benedict Matherin, Aaron Neesmith, Buddy Heald, uh, right? They have a lot of bodies in those spots. And I'm even forgetting one who should be uh, in the mix for minutes there. So it's going to be hard. Bruce Brown, Ben Matherin, Aaron Neesmith, Andrew Nemhard, and Buddy Heald. That's five guys. Okay, sorry. I don't know who I forgot there. But either way, there's a lot of names in that mix. And Nemhard should be playing no matter what, even if he's not the backup one. He started on the wing a lot last year. And the Pacers really liked what he gave. And he can take a step forward. He can do a lot of stuff that's valuable to the Pacers. So if he's not playing backup one, he's going to be in that wing mix. He's going to play. Andrew Nemhard's going to be in the rotation. So because Nemhard is, is non-negotiable if you're the Pacers, you can only choose between one of Neesmith and McConnell if you're the Pacers because you're not cutting Buddy Hilton rotation. Of course, his long-term future is is questionable with the franchise after some reporting last week, but he's too good in making him play and, and enhancing his value to both your team and other teams is important. Mather is one of the most important players long-term for the franchise, and Bruce Brown, they just gave him much money, and he's probably going to play a lot. So all those guys are going to play. And so that leaves Neesmith and McConnell fighting for the last spot, right? If you view it as, you know, two guys in each spot, a starter and a bench player for the one and two and three, you know, the two spot, let's just say, is, is you know, Matherin and Buddy Heald. The three spot is Bruce Brown and either Nemhard or Neesmith. And then backing up Tyrese Halberton is either McConnell or Nemhard. And one of the two that has Nemhard as a decider has to be Andrew Nemhard. So that's a lot of hubbub to say. McConnell and Neesmith, to me, are competing for a role, a daily role in the rotation. This could come down to a few things. But because they're probably both coming off the bench, the key one 
to me is the short and long-term part because the fit with and without Halliburton is important. In fact, McConnell being able to be, last year especially, the only guy who could consistently put pressure on the rim besides Tyrese Halliburton was very important, right? That made the bench units more potent. That meant the Pacers didn't have to sacrifice as much style when they switched from first unit to second unit, right? That's the problem the Nuggets have. No one can play like Jokic. So when their bench is in, they have to do their best to switch their style up. The Pacers didn't have to do that a ton because McConnell was good at a lot of rim pressure things. He also has some, you know, he's he's on the shorter side. He has some issues with being respected by defenses for his shot, even though he made them last year, right? He is a talented player. He also has some more to his game. He's also 30 and has a half-guaranteed contract next year. So from a Pacers timeline perspective, he's a short-term player, whereas Neesmith could be both. He could be a short-term and long-term player. He's one of their best wing defenders, and he's young, and they have restricted free agency next year if they would like to keep him. And so to me, I'd be playing Aaron Neesmith. I would have Nemhard be my backup one. I would still give him some minutes at the 2-3 spots, but I'd have him primarily be the backup one. And Neesmith would be the wing that I choose. But that's something they'll have to decide in camp. If, if it comes in and McConnell looks amazing or the second unit really needs him to be the creator because Nemhard maybe isn't cutting it in that way or they need Nemhard with the starters for his defense, right? Maybe that's another way this comes to fruition and then McConnell wins it. Who knows? But that's the big one because that kind of shapes what else their units need or who you're pairing with who or how you decide, right? You're at, they're both good defensive players, but that kind of influences what the rest of the units need or what some of the rest of the rotation could look like because that's a battle that's between more than one position, right? So that is the key one to watch to me, especially because... You know, some of these is going to be who starts and who comes off the bench, and that's a little easier to kind of break down. This one is literally potentially who isn't isn't playing, and that's significant for the short and long term future. We'll see. Neesmith pairs certainly pretty well with Tyrese Halburn. I'm not so sure about McConnell's long term fit next to Halburn, even though that did go well this past season. Let's talk about some more of these, some more that are at the same position, a little more natural to discuss and talk about. Before we get to that, though, I need to talk to you guys about the great people over at FanDuel. Snap into action this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook right now. New customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet on FanDuel. That's $200 in bonus bets. It's a lot of money, and that's win or lose on that $5 bet. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there is no better time to get in on the action. The app is super easy to use, right? There's a wide range of betting options, a ton of your faves. You can do your parlays. You can also do your spreads. You can do your player props. You can do your over-unders. Whatever you want to like on your favorite team, the Colts look splendid, 2-1 right now. Check it out. They've got it all on FanDuel. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and kick off the NFL season with FanDuel, an official partner of the NFL. Thank you, as always, for making Locked On Pacers your first listen today and every single day for your second listen. I just alluded to it in the FanDuel ad. Cross Sports, Locked On Colts, the two and one Colts. I pre-recorded yesterday's episode, so I couldn't include the second listen in there, but they beat the Ravens at Baltimore. Their kicker looks awesome. The Colts are fun, at least right now. Check out Locked On Colts for the most latest on the two and one Colts. And will Anthony Richardson be playing this Week. Let's continue here in Pacerland with some of the upcoming battles to watch in training camp after the Nick McConnell Neesmith one is decided because Nemhard's playing. And the question is where and how much and at what positions. On the wing, I think where Nemhard could be playing some of his minutes. Uh, there's going to be a battle for minutes to me. I don't know if it necessarily there will be a battle for starting bots. I think the Pacers will probably say there is in camp and maybe they're telling the truth. I don't want to assume anything. To me, the Matherin Brown 
duo should be the choice. I'm picking Matherin if I'm the Pacers because I need to know as this is the long-term play versus short-term play. I want to know two things. I want to know how good his fit is with Halliburton, really. They did have a positive net rating in those minutes last year, but they don't seem they didn't seem that complimentary. That's just that's just from watching. That doesn't mean anything. Just how something seems doesn't matter if the numbers are good. But you want to see that if you're the Pacers. You want to see, yes, these guys are clearly complimentary pieces. Matherin looks good. We can develop this partnership long term. Or Matherin's going to have to do a lot of his damage with Halliburton on the bench. If he still looks good, either of those are fine. But that's still information you'd like to find out. And then Bruce Brown, of course, they just gave $22 million to. He's the highest paid player on the team. He's going to fit well in a lot of lineups. He's going to add to the team on both ends of the floor. That's the kind of player you start. And you play a lot with your star player. So to me, those are the starters. Buddy Heald, though, I mean, has a case. Best shooter on the team by a mile. Maybe the best shooter, at least on an individual game basis. Of course, Reggie Miller is the best shooter in franchise history. But like right now in this era on an individual game basis, maybe you could say it's Buddy Heald. A lot to be desired elsewhere, of course. Um, But the thing with Heald is, if you're already playing a guy like Bruce Brown, who's certainly a short-term choice, although he could be a long-term one, he's only 27, Heald pairs very well with Halberton. So if you're deciding there, or you're figuring how to distribute the minutes and Heald's your sixth man, Heald having a good camp, or at least Heald proving that he is significantly better with Halberton than without, is going to force the Pacers to kind of evaluate how they decide how many minutes go to which guys in that mix. And if Nemhard's in that mix too, or Neesmith and Nemhard are in that mix, then they'll really have to decide who fits well with and without Halberton. Nemhard could be a wing with the second group, and he and McConnell could attack together at times, but that's not a lot of spacing. So they'll have to figure out all those sort of things. And I think there's going to be an interesting battle on the wing for minutes, although I don't necessarily think it'll be a battle for starting spots unless the Pacers start off the season just terribly or something weird is going on in those minutes. But I think Brown and Mather make the most sense. And if you listen to the rotation prediction episode I did with Eddie Garrison early in the offseason, you can see how he broke out the minutes at every single position based on who we think will play and how much at every single spot on a deep team. It was actually a pretty hard exercise. And the three and two are both kind of baked into the wing part that I just talked about there in terms of who makes the most sense at what spot. So you can call that the two, you can call that the three, whatever. But there's going to be a minutes competition between four or five guys for the spots there, with Ben Shepard being one who could sneak into at least fighting for minutes if there's a trade or if there's an injury, although I think he's on the outside looking in right now. So we know who the four, and this one is similar, in that it only is one of the two. It's not a fight for playing or not playing. In this case, it's going to be who's starting. It's Jairus Walker, and it's Obi Toppin. And I just realized in my notes I typed topping. So we're talking about pizza, apparently. Uh, it's it's Jairus Walker and Obi Toppin. Although I have to add, I have to add something here. Um, NBA.com and Steve Oshburner put up a Q&A with Rick Carlisle over this past weekend, three days ago. We're going to reference this in the news segment to close out today's show. And uh, Steve asked Rick Carlisle about Obi Toppin. Let me read you Rick Carlisle's full answer. He said, This is a quote from Rick. Look, since TJ Warren's injury three years ago, the Pacers have been in search of a four-man, a starting four and a legitimate backup. So, with Toppin, with the drafting of Walker, and with Aaron Neesmith back this year, we've got three guys that have played the position effectively, not to mention Jordan Wara, who played very well at the end of the year. So, all of a sudden, we've got a lot of possibilities there. The key part of me that in that 
was the inclusion of Aaron Neesmith. And he's alluded to Aaron Neesmith at the four. That's twice. I can't remember the other one. I think it was at Summer League, but I can't remember this summer. And so if he's playing the four, Kalen Cooper and I have talked about this on the season previews a little bit, does that mean Jairus Walker plays some five? Is that the only way that's possible? If Aaron Neesmith is playing some four, that is another way that TJ McConnell could be playing, but then the backup five gets really complicated and confusing, which we'll talk about in a second. But him sneaking Neesmith in there, he got Jordan Warren at the end, and that is telling also. But I thought that was noteworthy enough that I wanted to bring it up here. I'm not saying Neesmith's going to play the four or that he should play the four more than the three. I think he's better cast at the three, but given the Pacers roster, there is merit to that. As it stands right now, as I look at it from my current view, I think it should just be a purely even split of the minutes between Jairus Walker and Obi Toppin. There's some short-term, long-term there. Obi Toppin is a long-term play, but he is also on an expiring contract. You have no idea how he fits with your team. Jairus Walker certainly a long-term play. They just drafted him in the lottery. Uh, Toppin was a former lottery pick, of course, himself, but spent the first three years elsewhere. We'll see. I mean, he just got traded for two crappy second-round picks. We'll see what shakes out there. The big one here, though, could be the fit with, and the key part is without, Tyrese Halliburton. If Walker's playmaking looks good especially without Halbert, that would be noteworthy. Although I have a feeling he's going to be more of a secondary creator and that requires a good primary creator. We'll see, but that could be a big factor here is that Toppin specifically looks like a guy who pairs very well with Halliburton and Walker will too, but I think Walker could be slightly better without Tyrese Halbert on the floor and that could be important in determining who plays in what role. If I were running the Pacers, I would start Jairus Walker. I think Developing him alongside Halburn and Matherin truly is something they should be exploring and seeing what his defense can do next to Miles Turner. But starting Obi Toppin is totally defensible and not something that deserves any criticism. It's just not what I personally would do. And it could be a long-term play. If he fits fantastic with Halburn in that unit and adds to everybody and is not subtractive, then great. That would be perfect for what they're trying to do. They'd, of course, be willing to pay him in that instance next year in restricted free agency. Bada bing, bada boom. So that's not that position battle is just who's starting and how do they feel about that. And maybe Jairus Walker could slide to the five for a few minutes if they want to play Aaron Neesmith at the four. And speaking of the five, the final position here, Miles Turner is going to start. What's the backup situation there? Is it Jairus Walker for the reasons I just said? And that would trickle down back to the first thing with McConnell and Neesmith. But if it's not Jairus Walker, who is it? And this one has less to do with Halliburton, significantly so, probably less than any other position because Miles Turner's the starter. He's playing with Halliburton almost all the time of all the fives. So this one's about the goals, the short-term goals and the long-term goals. Daniel Tice just had a wonderful summer with Germany. They won the World Cup. That's his second straight summer looking effective with the national team. He's a talented player. He's a great screener. He can make decisions with the ball in his hands. His jumper from the elbow is solid enough that he thinks about it. Guys think about defending him. That's a valuable player. That is important to have. There's a reason the Celtics signed him and then traded for him to get him back. There's a reason the Bulls signed him to a, a contract after he left Boston and also traded for him. There's a reason the Rockets gave him a bunch of money. Right? Teams value have, have in the past, and not that long ago, by the way, valued his skills. So he's the best backup five they have. There's no debate there, I don't think, anymore. And this time, unlike last summer, he's not injured, and the Pacers' goals are different. They're not a building team anymore. They want to take a step forward. But they still have long-term goals. They're still a young team. And Jalen Smith and Isaiah Jackson deserve some thought here. They've both 
been rocky and inconsistent. Smith had a wonderful close to 2021-22. Not as strong last year. He even admitted that himself with the shooting at the end of the season. Jackson is the flashes that make you go, yes, this is the guy they should invest in, and has some lowlights that make you question if he should be on the floor. So how do they decide if it's short-term or long-term there? It's tough to say. If Tice was so much better than the young bigs, perhaps it'd be an easy decision. But I don't know that that talent gap is so big that they'll opt to play him instead. He's probably not on their timeline uh, for the similar reasons to McConnell earlier. He's on an expiring contract, and he's over 30 years old. So maybe that is also a factor here. I would play Isaiah Jackson myself. He gives them an element that no one else on their team does. But I think all three are justifiable choices. I don't know what the Pacers are going to do. I truly don't. It's very tough to decipher what they're thinking at that spot. And Jarris Walker could, of course, sneak into the mix, which would totally throw a wrench in it. And they would have three backup centers outside the rotation. So lots of battles for the Pacers to sort out. And truly, at every single position, who's the backup one, who's playing at the 2-3 and how much, who's starting at the 4, and who is the backup 5. Lots of questions that will be answered in training camp, and we'll learn a lot about the Patriots' priorities, not even necessarily from what they say, but from who they decide to put on the court. I'm really looking forward to seeing how all of that shakes itself out. One more segment here today. Time to get through the latest Pacers news. We've been doing this all summer. Usually it was attached to international play for all of August and earlier this month. Now, right here, I'll put it here. And then they'll do one more of these next week to close out the Pacers' newsy bits. Uh, next week, we'll see what we attach it to. But then they play a preseason game next weekend, not the coming one, but the one after. And then it's all hoops all the time. And I can't wait for that. But let's do one more Pacers Newsy Update episode to close out today's show. Thank you, as always, for making Locked On Pacers your first listen today and every single day for your second listen. Sounds like, I mean, I was gone all weekend uh, on my final trip of the offseason. There's a lot more drama and hubbub about Dame and the Heat and the Raptors and all this stuff. The Locked On Blazers, Locked On Raptors, and Locked On Heat for the latest on a saga that never ends. It's very frustrating. We'll see where that ends up heading and how big, if at all, this trade ends up expanding. Sounds like from some reporting, it could get to as many as three, four teams. We'll see some reporting about Phoenix. Even one outlet or two maybe mentioned the Pacers. The Jazz were involved in a few of them. I mean, there's a lot of ways this could go. We'll see what ends up happening. That, I guess, is a news item that I just included that, although I know little about that at this time. Let's dive in to the current Pacers news starting with there's two sections here one three really the first one is stuff that was said on podcasts <laughs> which I enjoy talking about it gives you a nice perspective on Pacers history uh, first up Miles Turner went on uh, run your race with Theo Pinson if you remember Bruce Brown also went on run your race with Theo Pinson earlier in the summer run your race a really good show Theo's good at this media stuff he takes you through a player's career not from NBA career start to finish, from like, you're five years old, why did you pick basketball to now? And because he, of course, was a college great player and has been in the NBA, is very good at asking these questions and, and broaching them in a way that is comfortable for players. The part I enjoyed the most in Miles Turner's interview, among many things, was him talking about Larry Bird and the message Larry Bird had for him after being drafted. Uh, of course, he's an intimidating guy to be around, but this is part of what Larry Bird being around is so impressive, right? A lot of draft prospects this year talked about it because Bird was back in the building. First of all, Turner called him laid back, but he said he's about his business. He's not really into the hokey or social media. It's work. And then he said Larry Bird told him, I drafted you for a reason, and now he's kind of held with him. Miles has his whole career that Larry Bird drafted him and believes in him. He said, I wanted to make sure I put a return on his investment. It was dope to be in the presence of greatness like that, and I know... 
that he saw the greatness in me. I thought that was really interesting. Lots of more good stuff. I highly recommend you listen to it. Run your race with Theo Pinson, Miles Turner involved. Larry Bird, of course, back with the organization. Amazingly, Larry Bird sneaking into our second podcast appearance that we're talking about today. This one happened a while ago. I don't know how I missed this. Draymond Green went on Podcast P with Paul George. Two non-Pacers players right now. What could have been? They talked some draft stories. This was when Paul George was with the Pacers, Draymond Green in the draft, where he notoriously went in the second round back in 2013. Um, Draymond told Paul George he worked out for the Pacers twice, two times. He thought there was a chance they ended up picking him. Pacers, of course, had picked 26 that year. Um, and in retrospect, Draymond probably should have gone like two, three. I don't even know who the top of that draft was. Maybe one. Um Draymond recalling that no one knew what position he could guard, and that's why he fell in the draft. Um, the Pacers picked Miles Plumley <laughs> at that pick. Obviously, they would have preferred Draymond Green. Um, Draymond thought the Pacers were an option. Of course, he worked out for them twice. However, to tie this back to Larry Bird, who we just talked about, Larry Bird was the president that summer, and right before the draft, like two or three days before, Larry Bird stepped down that same day as Draymond's second workout, funnily enough. So I don't know how much that actually played a factor or if Larry Bird is a Draymond guy, but I think that's super, super interesting. Uh, they also flipped the conversation and talked about what if uh, Golden State had picked Paul George with the Ekpe Udo pick in the 2010 draft. They, that Paul George has been really good at media on his show as well. Draymond, of course, has his own podcast. They did. A wonderful job. Another highly recommended one there. But really interesting to think about what could have been. Had the Pacers picked a dream on that summer or if Larry stepping down. I don't even know if it's evolved, but if it was, you know, what that could have meant for that draft and the future of the Pacers and what Paul could have looked like if PG was on the team. That is, of course, lacking all the context about who the rest of the Pacers roster was and if Draymond Green River played. And the final podcasting thing here is once again Paul George who said on Stephen A. Smith's podcast that he thinks the Pacers could have won a championship if he didn't get hurt with Team USA, right? LeBron leaves, time's coming. Um, he thinks it could happen, and then he broke the leg. He thought that was the time that they could have won a title. Of course, they went 38-44 and 44 that year. Uh, when asked why he hasn't won a championship yet, Paul George said, I think the only thing I can answer that is just unfortunate events, and for me it's been injuries. Every chance and opportunity that I've had since Indiana has fallen short because of an injury. Some of that is true. There's been a little bit more to it than that. I think Paul George knows it. But I do think it's interesting he thought that that team, coming out of 2014, by the way, could have won a championship because they never even got close to that level of again. Of course, his injury was a big factor there. Um, but he felt like that he was going to take some stuff from Team USA, come back, be great, and they were going to win it or at least have a chance, and they did not. So very noteworthy stuff there. I recommend, of course, listening to Podcast P, but that was on Stephen A. Smith's podcast, which was also <laughs> very good. Three, I just enjoy all basketball content, apparently. Anything I learn something new from or get inside – inside baseball kind of knowledge from I enjoy. The next section of news today, we'll be calling it transactions. Minor, some not even happening yet, but could. Uh, first up, Serge Ibaka. Very small, but he ended last season with the Pacers. They waived him right after the trade that got them Jordan Wara and three second rounders. He signed with Bayern Munich over in Europe. In theory, he could have been back in the NBA. Um, he has no cap hit with the Pacers, so there's no effect here, but he is no longer in the NBA. I don't know that he'll ever be back in the NBA. We'll see. Uh, but he did last play for the Pacers technically, so we'll squeak him in. And now we've talked about everybody who had a cap hit on the Pacers last year, except for Juwan Morgan, Nick Stauskas, and Malik Fitz, who got their cap hits stretched in the DeAndre Ayton stuff. And now we've talked about them, too. None of them are in the NBA either. Jordan Bell, uh, 38th overall pick in the 2018 NBA draft, won a title with the Warriors 
as a rookie. Decent player, five-year NBA career, last played for the Bulls. He is signing an Exhibit 10 with the Pacers. Michael Scotto reported that. I can now confirm it via um, some league sources. The Jordan Bell joining the Pacers on an Exhibit 10. Uh, sounds like he'll be with the Mad Ants. He's played with the Mad Ants before, actually, two seasons ago for 21 games. Uh, quality player, at least a decent big man. We'll see if he actually gets with the Pacers for training camp or not, but it sounds like he'll be a leader with the Mad Ants, and I think the Mad Ants are going to end up having a pretty good roster this year. This isn't reporting. This is just me thinking and riffing. Like They are all based in Indy now. Everything's there. Gabe York talked about how valuable that was to him last year. Not only are they using the Pacers' facilities in general, they'll be playing in Gamebridge, right? So if you play for the Mad Ants, you get a lot of NBA facility experience this season and a lot of actual NBA exec eyes on you just because of your proximity to the team. I think that could be valuable for guys trying to crack into the NBA. Jordan Bell joining the Pacers this season, at least for training camp. We'll see how that goes for him. The last one transactionally, nothing has happened here yet, but Glenn Robinson III, many of you will remember him from the Pacers. His best career stints were with the Pacers. He had one half season with the Warriors that was better. Um, wants to be back in the NBA. Reported by a couple people, Sky Agnes with Fieldhouse Files, and GR3 was actually on Scott's podcast recently, if you want to listen to that. Uh, Michael Scotto with Hoops Hype, and Grant Afseth, who used to cover the Pacers, over with Mavericks SI. Uh, GR3 says he has unfinished business. He would like to return to the league. He's worked out for the Warriors and Celtics so far. We'll see if he can make it back in the league. If he was a little younger, I think some teams would take a swing on him. He turns 30 next January, uh, but we'll see. I think he's got to prove his value a little bit. He was a good player, though. I always was, was at least into him as a bench wing for a lot of teams, and a lot of NBA teams were into him as a bench wing until he came out of the league a few years ago. We'll see if anything happens there. Last news item there, Rick Carlisle. Uh, in the aforementioned interview with NBA.com, was asked about the in-season tournament. I like Rick Carlisle's perspective because when he joined the NBA, there were 23 teams in the whole league. They had imbalanced conferences. There was a best of five in the first round. And the salary cap rules were way different. He's seen a lot of the league's evolution. So him, his comments on the in-season tournament mean a lot to me. Rick Carlisle on the in-season tournament, he said... This is another trophy. The Premier League in soccer has been doing this for decades with a high level of success, so it's time to jump in. It sounds to me like it's very well organized makes a lot of sense. I'm sure a lot will be learned in year one that will be adjusted for year two as needed. Yes, that is the right perspective. The adjustment to year two will be crucial. I think as long as guys take it seriously and there's no injuries and no threat to team success on their actual title run, I think it will be a good idea. There's more basketball games where people will be trying. I'll enjoy it. We'll see how much it actually lands, but I liked Carlisle's perspective. I think it's going to be fascinating, too. Like, Jairus Walker will be the worst person to ask about the in-season tournament because his entire NBA career will have the in-season tournament involved. So guys like Carlisle and even some of the older Pacers will be, I think, a little more interesting to hear from when it comes to what this means for the season and all that sort of stuff. That is it for today's show and the news updates. We already have, amazingly, a few more news things to fit into the next show, but I either haven't written about them, haven't dove into them yet, or don't have enough to say on the show, but I will next week when we do our final news update of the offseason before it's really season time. As this week progresses, we'll see on topics. It depends on some events that could be happening this week in Pacerland. But in general, for sure, you're going to get the point guard position preview with Kaitlin Cooper and probably another show with some buddy heel topics as well as in general veteran questions from the Pacers. Looking forward to breaking it all down. And then next Monday is Media Day. Uh, that one can be discussed. And there'll be a lot of topics surrounding the team. And then they're right into practice. So lots of stuff to talk about there as we get going on the Pacers season. October is right around the corner. Thank you guys a ton for listening today. Hope you had a fantastic weekend. I'm on Twitter at Tony R. East. This show is at Locked on Pacers. We will see you soon. <laughs>